Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today we're going to focus on a really important safety topic, and that is man overboard. And my guest is Dave Fuller. He's been with us before, and he's going to cover this for us. Um, we, of course, hope that no one goes overboard, and, and most likely cases that you will not, but people do every single day, and we want to make sure that our loopers are prepared for that. So before we jump in, I do want to take a moment, as I always do, to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. So I would like to officially uh, welcome Dave Fuller back to Great Loop Radio. Dave, thanks for being with us today. Uh, thanks for having me, Kim. And um, congratulations, first of all. I know you have a, a brand new position, but uh, tell us a little bit about that and your boating experience. Well, um, I've been, uh, my wife and uh, I, uh, Nan Ellen and I, have been uh, members of AGLCA since, uh, I, I had to look it up, but I think around 2010 or so. As we planned for our Great Loop, uh, we were on it 2011, 2012, 2013. So we were of those folks that wanted to do it over multiple years. Uh, glad we did it that way. But um, my boating background, I've been a boater since I was a young kid. And uh, to make a long story short, um, through, uh, through ham radio, of all things, I got involved with the Coast Guard Auxiliary. Uh, multiple years ago, uh, been uh, with the auxiliary about 20 years now, and um, I have a number of qualifications with them, uh, but I'm currently serving as director of education. Uh, my responsibility is to make boaters smarter, um, and uh, hopefully that will impact uh, safety and uh, and make them less likely to uh, to have to learn from bad experiences, their own bad experiences. We want them to learn from others' bad experiences so they don't have to do their own. Yeah. And so I, anyway, I just started that, that uh, job uh, November 1st and uh, looking forward to, to my new duties there. Yeah, and this is, of course, a volunteer position, um, and you have been volunteering with the auxiliary, as you said, for 20 years and presented for AGLCA many times. So we appreciate all of your work for the boating community to make sure that the rest of us stay safe. Um, and that really is what today is all about. So um, in talking about man overboard, um, you say, Dave, that prevention is the best place to start, which makes all kinds of sense. So let's start there. Tell us a little bit about uh, how to prevent ejection from your boat. Well, uh, I think, Kim, the first thing we have to remember is a man overboard situation is always a serious situation, regardless of when it happens or where it happens. Uh, most of the time it occurs in something less than ideal conditions. Usually it's a wind or a, a wave or some kind of uh, something that causes somebody to lose their footing or uh, not have a, a good contact with the boat. One of the first things that we teach um, is three points of contact. So that's two feet and one hand, uh, one foot, two hands, but always maintain three points of contact with your boat. Um, things like uh, facing the stairs when you're going down or up a stair uh, as opposed to facing away from it. Those are things that if you were to lose your footing, 
you would fall into the stairs instead of away from it. So um, wearing appropriate footwear, um, you know, the decks when they're wet, obviously very slick and uh, easy to, uh, uh, to slip and fall on those. Um, also, when you're on deck and you have uh, uh, low or no handrails, um, you should always 100% of the time be in a life jacket uh, because an unexpected wave could come and, and basically knock you overboard. So paying attention, wearing proper footwear, and three points of contact are probably the best things, uh, along with situational awareness. Um, those are all important things to prevent the man overboard situation from occurring. And I love the three points of contact because it's something I think that if you're just starting out in boating is, is not something you think about. Um, but once you've been boating for a while, I think you'll start to find that even when you're on other people's boats, right where you're looking for a handrail or something to hold on to, tends to be where there is one. Um, so boats are well designed for that. But since we know we have a lot of brand new loopers and a lot who are still looking for the boat, this is really something, Dave, that you can be looking for when you are looking for that perfect great loop boat is is the points of contact, whether they're appropriately placed and how high that railing is, right? That's absolutely right. Think about in bad situations. If you're in uh, uh, big waves or a lot of wind or, or um, you know, hopefully you're not going to be out in too much of that, but if you've been boating long enough, you're going to be in that position. So be prepared for it. Yeah, absolutely. And so even though we have the best of intentions and we are hopefully thinking of those three points of contact and um, wearing the life jacket, Man overboard can and does happen. So there's some steps we can follow to remedy that. Essentially, once somebody's in the water, obviously you want to get them out as quickly and as safely as possible. So walk us through where to start. Well, <clears throat> I think that this is this is one of the hardest parts of, of our conversation here today, Kim, is it's very much situation dependent. Uh, it's dependent on how many people are aboard the boat, if it's just you and one other person, it's handled a little bit differently than if you have two or three people aboard the boat. And it's handled differently depending on who gets ejected. Uh, for example, if the uh, person driving the boat goes overboard, uh, that, that introduces a whole new set of problems. But let's, let's make the assumption that you have yourself and uh, one or more additional people on board the boat. So the very first thing is to know that it happened and um, how you do that is to maintain situational awareness because people can go over the side and uh, the person driving the boat may have no knowledge of that may not see them uh, there are some uh, products on the market uh, that uh, that you wear on your wrist or, or on your life jacket that if you get separated by a certain distance, it sets off an alarm, and then there are even some that will actually disable the boat. So take a look at those and see if that's something that you think might be appropriate to your needs. But let's, uh, let's assume that the person driving the boat sees the man overboard go overboard. So the first step that you need to do is stop the advance of the boat. So pull it back, pull the throttles back into neutral, um, I would not put them, put, take the boat out of gear just yet because you need to be able to get back to where you're going and you need to maintain your direction uh, in order to do that. So if you pull the throttles back, the next step is to reach up to your chart plotter and hit the man overboard key or it could be named something else uh, to mark a, uh, 
to mark a spot. It may, you know, have a different name, but the whole idea is to put a waypoint on your chart plotter. And the reason that's very important is because it's necessary to get back to that spot. And if you hit it and, and mark it as soon as you can, uh, you've got a, a good point of reference. Uh, something we call uh, in the Coast Guard is uh, a CSP, a commence search point. This is where we start the search from. If we have a known position to start from, now we can take other factors into uh, uh, into factor the the wind, um, you know, the current, and so forth, and and come up with a probability of where you're going to find the person. So, having that good point of reference is really critical information. The next step should be to blast your horn five blasts on your horn, five long blasts. Why should you do that? Well. The reason for that is to gain attention from other boaters that may be nearby you. Uh, the universal signal for danger or doubt or something's not right is five blasts on your horn. And when you do that, it brings attention to you. Now you've got other people, if they're in the uh, within range of hearing, they hear the five blasts, now you've got their attention. They know that something's not right. And... Uh, the, the ones that have had some training uh, will probably start heading in your direction. So the next thing would be to um, uh, start your your uh, uh, return back to the person in the water. And there's a, there's a lot of different ways of doing that. Um, one way, probably the the way that works most often, is something called a Williamson turn. And if you want to do a Google search for it, you can you can look at the uh, at the diagram for how that looks. There's a, there's a couple other ones as well that you might want to consider. One of them is an Anderson turn, which is basically just making a big circle that brings you back to where you uh, where you were before. And then there's also a, a Charnel turn, which is very similar to a Williamson turn. And uh, again, you can Google those two and, and take a look at them. Uh, if we were doing this in a visual manner, I would, uh, I would demonstrate uh, and have a, a graphic for you to look at, but uh, take a look at that. Just do a Google search for Williamson turn, Anderson turn, and Charnow turn, and that'll give you some options for how do you get, get back to them. Um, and so when you get back to the person, once you follow one of those turns, it will bring you back approximately to where uh, the person went overboard. Uh, if you have the opportunity, uh, if you've not gotten too far away from them when you notice the man overboard going overboard, one of the most important things that you can do is get them additional flotation. Now, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, then those folks would have already been wearing their life jackets. If they're not, Remember, they're in the water involuntarily. They're not there because they chose to go in. They went in because they didn't. The, something happened that, that caused them to go in. Without flotation, the very first thing that happens is panic. And having flotation de-escalates panic very dramatically and very quickly. So even if you don't have a Type 4 throwable device that you can throw to the person, Anything that will float, you can get overboard. If you've got a partially filled cooler, uh, you can throw that overboard. Uh, I've personally done that. Even uh, half full of uh, a tasty adult beverages, coolers still float pretty darn good and can provide additional flotation. So anything that floats that the person in the water can grab a hold of 
to give them reassurance that they don't have to, you know, tread water uh, will de-escalate the, the situation immensely for them. So, um, so always have that close at hand if you if you can, and um, I'll get to the a little bit later how you practice that. But uh, de-escalating that panic uh, will buy you a lot of time, and that's an important aspect of this is. You have time, uh, if the person in the water has flotation, you now have time to do what you have to do to get back to them and pick them up safely. You don't have to rush because they're now going to be floating on the surface. They're going to want to be out of the water, but the immediate danger uh, has been de-escalated immensely. Yeah, and that's, that's so important when somebody ends up in the water unexpectedly is that they have that sense of confidence that they're going to be okay. Um, so, Dave, once you've executed one of these turns that you've described and that we're all going to Google, so we're sure how to do them, um, you're, of course, in a rather large vessel for most loopers approaching someone small in the water. Um, and as you, of course, cut back on the throttle and, and put the engines in neutral and, and get ready to retrieve that person, um, it can be a little bit challenging to approach them because you've, of course, got potentially some waves and some current also a factor. So, Talk about the safest way to approach that person so you can start to retrieve them into the boat. Okay. Um, this one is highly situationally dependent. It depends on which way the wind is blowing, which way the current is running, whatever factors are going to move that boat around. And you need to find out which that is. I, and I've been in situations where the wind is blowing one direction, the current is moving from another direction. You need to bring the boat to a stop and see which one affects it more. Once you've determined which one uh, will have the most effect on it, now you're, you're going to be able to make a decision as to how to approach the, the person in the water. So um, generally speaking, you want to pr approach uh, into the wind or up against the current. And the reason you want to do that is because you need to be able to stop the boat relatively close to the person in the water. Now, you don't, if, if, uh, if you do it the other way, what's probably going to happen is the wind will blow you either on over the top of the person and the boat will run over the person in the water, um, or you won't be able to see them and, uh, and determine whether or not you've just run over them which is you've just taken a very bad situation and made it much, much worse. Um, my recommendation is to have a second Type 4 device. That's a throwable device. Uh, some people use a seat cushion. Some people use a life ring. Uh, there are several different Type 4 uh, devices. But have one of them with a line attached to that. And the reason you want that is because it's much, much, much easier to bring the person in the water to you rather than for you to try and go right up to the person in the water. It's much safer uh, for the person in the water if you don't have the boat swinging around with the propellers turning. Because again, we go from a bad situation person in the water to a worse situation where you either run over them or they get cut up with the props. So um, stand off of them close enough to throw the, the throwable device with the line and then have them grab it and simply pull them up to the boat. Uh, once you've done that, now you've got some other situations to be concerned with. 
Um, first thing is, where are you going to bring them back aboard the boat? Uh, in most boats, that's somewhere on the stern. Some boats have a swim platform. Uh, some boats you have to climb a ladder to get out. So you're going to have to figure out on your particular vessel where is the lowest place that the person could get back on board the boat. Um, remember that if you have to assist that person to get back on board, you're going to have probably a nearly impossible time getting that person out by yourself unless you have some kind of a, uh, if you have a, a, a crane on board, you know, to lift your dinghy out, maybe you can use that. But most boats aren't going to have that luxury, and you're going to have to figure out how to get the person out of the water. Assuming they're uninjured and can get themselves out, you put the ladder down, they climb out, and then you have some nice stories to tell at, at dock tales. Uh, and if they're injured, however, and they're going to require assistance getting them out, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to do that by yourself for two reasons. Number one, um, if they went overboard in less than ideal conditions, the boat's going to be rocking around and it's going to be very difficult. And if you go back and try and, and pull them aboard, there's a good chance that you're going to go right in the water with them. So um, you may require some additional help. And blowing the horn five times earlier may bring some other help. If it doesn't, then you need to get on your VHF Marine Radio and ask for some boaters to come by. Give them your position, tell them where you're at, tell them you have a person in the water and you need some help getting them out. And um, you'll probably get the help that you need. And if you don't, um, you're going to have to get uh, additional you know, professional help, either from the Coast Guard or, or whatever other local um, uh, authorities or might be available. But uh, don't injure yourself trying to get somebody out of the water. Again, if, you, if they have flotation, um, they're going to be safe in the water. And bobbing around like a cork out there is better than trying to come aboard underneath the swim platform and the boat rocking back and forth and slamming them in the head. So use a little bit of, of thought process as to where they need to be while you're waiting to get them out. And you have to do it safely. And um, uh, so one of the other things that I recommend is when you get the boat fairly close to where you're going to bring the, the person aboard, uh, you want to not only put the engines in neutral, but I recommend you shut the motors down because some some props can turn very slowly uh, even when they're in neutral. And uh, uh, the last thing, again, that you want is the, the person in the water uh, to have an uh, impact against a spinning propeller. That's never going to have a, a good outcome. Um, but you're going to have to survey your boat to figure out where is the best place to bring the person aboard. Some boats, it's an easy decision. Other boats... You've got some some tough tough thinking to do, and in some cases, if you have somebody, let's say for example, the the one person that's in the water, you know, weighs 250 pounds or 300 pounds, and then the other person, you know, weighs 130, 140 pounds, you're going to have just about an impossible time getting that heavier person out of the water by yourself. You won't be able to do it, and you will have to have additional help. Uh, you might injure yourself or you might, again, you might go in the water. So it's better to leave the person in the water with flotation until you can get them out and get them out safely. That's the most important thing. Don't injure, don't compound the injury um, by injuring them, getting them out of the water.
That's great advice, Dave. I think uh, we should talk about kind of what to do to assess the situation once you have the person back aboard and also um, how to make sure that everyone aboard, should you have guests, uh, knows what to do. Um, but it's, it's great that, you know, the good news is you can plan for some of this. So as you said, you know, find the spot where you'll retrieve the person on your boat. It's always kind of a fine line on Great Loop Radio when we do these safety topics because I've been doing this for long enough to know that, you know, I've heard from some folks who maybe there's a reluctant person in the couple. Um, you know, it's one person's dream and passion and another person is a bit reluctant to do it. And occasionally we do a safety topic like this and I hear from someone and says, you just scared my wife so much that she's refusing now to do it. And that's certainly not our objective. Um, our objective is to make sure everybody stays safe. So if you are reluctant and you're hearing this and said, oh my gosh, I never even thought about the, the possibility of falling overboard, take some solace in the fact that it's good that you're hearing this because now you can think through what you would do and gain confidence by being armed with that knowledge. So our intention is not to scare anybody. Um, so as I said, and I've said it before, we kind of walk a fine line when we cover these safety topics. But I will share with all of you that... A few weeks back, we had uh, two separate man overboard incidents in one day among loopers. And um, that very same day, I was looking at our Facebook group and seeing a post from someone who said, I just got my first boat and it's this big and should I go? And everybody, you know, most people said, go now, absolutely, before time passes you by. And while I agree with that, there were a few who kind of chimed in with some experience that said, Absolutely go as soon as you are able, but make sure that you are comfortable and confident handling the boat. So, Dave, I think um, you originally um, kind of t pointed out um, Mario Vitone's articles to me. And one of his, he's a safety expert, and one of his things is prepare for the worst day. Um, most likely you're not going to go overboard, but should it happen, we just want you all to be prepared. So, um these are great tips, Dave, you've been offering so far, and we're going to continue the discussion after a quick word from our sponsors, so we'll be back in a moment. Good morning, loopers. Many of you are probably already cruising in southeastern waters, and that is where the Salty Southeast Cruisers Net focuses all of its efforts to help you enjoy your time on the water. So as you prepare for the next leg of your journey, and as your resource for accurate, timely, and useful information, we want to invite you to use and add your knowledge to the wealth of information that's available through the Cruisers Net in its directories for marinas, bridges, and anchorages, as well as the latest fuel prices in your area. Our mission of Cruisers Helping Cruisers, may we invite you to help those following in your wake by sharing with us your cruising experiences. Thank you. Have a great day. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Dave Fuller. Dave is the new Director of Education for the U.S. Uh, Coast Guard Auxiliary at the national level. So congratulations on that, Dave, and thank you for your extended service to the boating community through the auxiliary. Um, of course, we're talking about man overboard, and let's focus a little bit. Um, you know, we've talked about kind of the procedures to retrieve somebody, and it does vary depending on conditions and depending on your boat. So probably the biggest message we're hoping everyone is hearing from this is to think about this, to think it through and have a plan. Um, so one more kind of step in the retrieval process, so to speak, before we kind of move on to more about how to be prepared. Um, 
we have talked about getting the person back aboard, but we didn't talk about what to do next. You know, they may or may not be injured. They may or may not have been in very cold water. So what should you do immediately once you've brought them back aboard? Well, uh, Kim, the first thing is really just do a visual assessment. Take a look. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty easy to spot somebody that, that has a broken arm or a broken leg. It's pretty easy to look at somebody and say, hey, they got a gash in the head where they hit their head when they went overboard. So look for the obvious. Um, most of us are not medical professionals. Most of us don't have medical training. Uh, if we do, obviously, that's a real plus, but most of us don't. So look for the obvious things. Um, you should assume, however, anybody that's gone over overboard involuntarily has bumped into something on the way out. And not all the time are um, our injuries very much uh, apparent when you look at, at something. I, I know I've had a broken leg before, uh, and, and I had uh, my wife tell me, hey, you got a broken leg. I didn't even know it because, you know, I guess the endorphins or something tell you, you know, you're okay. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, um, take a look at those things and just visually see them. Assume that, that whoever has been in the water has had some kind of uh, uh, an injury that you may not be able to spot. So uh, the first thing is get them out of their wet clothes and into some dry clothes, uh, wrap them in blankets because they're definitely going to be chilled. Uh, it's unlikely, however, that they've been in the water long enough to, to uh, establish hypothermia. I guess it's, it's possible maybe in the Great Lakes if they've been in the water for 30 or 45 minutes to have the beginning stages of, of hypothermia, but uh, most places uh, you can, you can, you'd be surprised how long you can be in the water before hypothermia starts setting in, um, where you actually lose the ability of your muscles to move. So, um, but they're probably going to be chilled. They're probably going to be very uncomfortable. So if you can get rid of the wet clothes, if you've got some warm blankets to warm them up, uh, do that. And um, uh, take a look at their eyes. You know, if their eyes are, are glassed over or, or look like they're uh, not focused on you, uh, you know, they might have sustained some kind of a head injury. And uh, uh, you're going to have to treat that as, as uh, suspect. So uh, the next thing is go ahead and, and move to a place where you can get them some kind of medical assistance. Um, and you may have to do some, uh, some kind of negotiation with the, uh, if, if you have an injury that you have to take care of, the, the place that uh, the, the, the shore side folks take over may not be where you're going. So you may have to backtrack or you may have to go someplace else. So uh, work that out and, and get the person, get them checked out, and make sure that they're okay. Um, one of the things I, I was going to say earlier, and I'm sorry I, I missed this part, is all of these these procedures that I'm talking about, they can be, they can, you can have a lot of confidence in them if you practice them. Uh, one of the ways that I like to practice the man overboard. Um, is sometimes when my wife's driving the boat, I'll throw a life jacket overboard and we'll say that that's the man overboard and see if she notices it. And then we go through the procedure. Um, if you have more than one person aboard the boat, then you need to employ that other person as a man overboard pointer. And so the procedure there would be to yell out very loudly, man overboard, 
and then you take your finger and you point toward that man overboard. The, the pointer's job is to never take their eyes off the man overboard. If you do, you might lose them, especially in, in, uh, in conditions where there's a lot of waves. And then you direct the person driving the boat to get back to them, where they are. But if it's just the two of you on board, then the, the person driving the boat's going to have to do both. They're going to have to keep their eye on the person overboard, and they're going to have to drive the boat. So it's, it's a little bit harder. But you can practice this. And uh, you might use a, a, a half-filled milk jug. You might use a, a life jacket. Anything, basically, that floats out there that becomes a man overboard. And, and practice these things. And you'll be surprised, after you do it two or three times, your confidence level will go up pretty dramatically. And, and you'll know that you'll be able to actually accomplish this if, in the rare event that it happens to you, that you will be able to, uh, to accomplish it. Yeah, that's a great tip. Um, any other thoughts, Dave, on, uh, you know, practicing? Um, you mentioned a life jacket, a half-filled uh, milk bottle. Um, you know, any other thoughts on tips for preparation, including, you know, um, kind of explaining the procedure to guests who might be aboard for a day or two? Yeah, if, if you do have guests on board, one of the very first things that you should do every time they come on board is you should do a thorough underway briefing. And that thorough underway briefing should show the locations of all of your uh, important safety equipment. Where are all the life jackets at? Where is your uh, first aid kit? Where are the fire extinguishers? What's the procedure if um, you had a fire on the boat? You know, what, what do you do first? What do you do second? What do you do third? Um, practice all these things. Explain them to people. Show them where these things are. And then um, you don't have to go into a long explanation of what happens with a man overboard, but I think that you, you really need to say, you know, we have a plan and we know how to deal with this. Um, and if you have a small written plan that you could, you could show them, um, probably not going to hurt. But at the very least, you want to brief all of your guests that come aboard uh, where all of this safety equipment is. Very, very critical uh, even if they're only going to be aboard for a day or two. Um, it's it's just uh, a very important task to let everybody know that they're, they have now become a part of the crew once they step aboard uh, and they're on board your boat. Right. Another great tip I picked up from um, some gold loopers, I think, who were speaking at one of our rendezvous was particularly since it's fairly common for it to be a couple aboard, um, you know, if both are up on the flybridge for the day and, and someone goes down below for whatever purpose, um, communicate that. And, and with looping, like so many things, communicating with the other person aboard is so important. But communicate where you're going and when you'll be back so that if you don't arrive back on that flybridge in a reasonable amount of time, that's an indication that perhaps something went wrong. So I, I thought that was a great tip. And I've even had some loopers who have the headsets known as marriage savers um, that don't just use them for docking. They also use them in that situation I just described so that if uh, one person goes below and has an issue, um, they can communicate easily. So those are some more things to consider. Um, Dave, you know, one thing we didn't touch on that I really would like to, um, by far, uh, you know, I'm not sure that I've ever, we, we have focused today on man overboard while underway, because that is certainly the, the most challenging situation. But I don't know that I've ever heard of a looper going aboard while underway. The ones that I have heard of going overboard tend to be at the dock. 
Um, so while you may not have the finding the person or dealing with retrieving them with wind and waves and current, the same issue with getting that person back up on the boat or the dock exists. So any thoughts about that, or is that your experience as well, that that's a more common situation? Well, actually, I, I have experienced with a, with a group that we had on the Tennessee River a few years ago where a person uh, that was wearing a life jacket that wasn't properly adjusted had a strap come down, and they were maneuvering the boat into the lock, uh, trying to get up and latch onto one of the bollards. And one of the straps on his life jacket grabbed a hold of the throttle, and as he turned around, it put the boat in full throttle, and the boat started doing a 360-degree turn inside the lock. Wow at high speed, and it ejected three people. Wow. And they were very lucky that they weren't run over by the boat before the uh, the guy that owned it, uh, before he was able to bring it back under control again. So, you know, in an enclosed area like a lock, those kind of things can happen pretty much without warning. Uh, getting on and off a boat at a dock, again, very, very much, uh, you know, people expect it to be a stable environment, but uh, as we all know, boats are not the most stable of environments uh, when people, particularly if you step on the gunnel, uh, you're, you're going to rock the boat back and forth. So um, you just have to use extra caution in those areas. And uh, um, one of the comments I also wanted to make is anytime you're around the boat, um, I'm a very strong advocate of wearing life jackets. And I'm a very, very strong advocate of wearing the inflatable, the automatic inflatable life jackets. After you've worn those for about five minutes, you're not even aware that, you, that you're wearing it. But it's always there. It's kind of like a seatbelt in your car. You know, we've all gotten used to when we get in our cars and drive someplace, first thing we do is we reach over, grab our seatbelt, and we buckle it up, and then we start the car, and we, we do our thing. Well, if people would do the same thing with life jackets, um, if they go in the water, they've got flotation. But if they don't have a life jacket on, they go in the water, uh, it's a whole different story. So basically, the, the life jackets will only help you if you're wearing them. And um, it, it's, it's uh, tragic, but the, the Coast Guard runs a report every year of the numbers of people, um, the accidents and deaths and so forth each year. And again, I don't want to get uh, morbid here. But the majority of all of the deaths and, and injuries occur because people weren't wearing life jackets. And generally, those are on smaller boats, but the same thing applies to bigger boats as well. If you wear your life jacket, um, particularly if you're in a situation where there's a, a, a possibility that you might be ejected uh, in rough conditions, uh, wet conditions, and for those that are doing overnight passages, particularly when you... Uh, Cross the Gulf. A lot of people do overnight crossings. If you're on deck, you should always, always, always have your life jacket on. Yep. And I think that is the perfect place to wrap this up. Um, Dave Fuller, thank you for sharing these tips. I mean, again, our mission, this, this can be a frightening topic for some, but armed with the knowledge for what to do in the situation should make it less frightening, but also will make you more prepared for the loop. So Dave, again, thanks for sharing those tips with us and all this great information. We appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us once again on Great Loop Radio. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, safe cruising. Uh-huh.